Welcome to the Music Business Podcast. Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends, tactics, and insights from some of the world's brightest minds in music. I'm Jordan Williams of EQT Management. And I'm Sam Heisel from Knox. We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans. Welcome to the show. Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Music Business Podcast. I'm Jordan Williams with my co-host, Sam Heisel. Today, we have a very, very special guest. I've been a fan of this man for years. Multi-platinum, Grammy-winning, uh, super producer, Elmind. Super excited. I mean, he's worked with some of the biggest names in uh, all of music. Dr. Dre, J. Cole, Drake. Just had a dope feature on the new Schoolboy Q album, uh, 5200. Epic track. Check it out if you haven't already. Um, Elmind came through and was just... Dropping tons of knowledge. I mean, from his ascent, uh, I mean, how he was able to push through the first like six to 10 years of his career as an aspiring producer to the point where he's at today, where I think uh, not many, many people make it there. So to hear the the different turning points, some of the skills, uh, some of his favorite stories, I loved hearing about the first time he met Dr. Dre and how that turned into uh, a longstanding relationship. I think this is a super successful guy. Uh, makes epic, like super awesome music, and uh, his interviews does justice. What do you think? Yeah, one of my favorite things was when he talked about the slow grind of the music industry. I think a lot of people with social media nowadays and with the ability to compare yourself to other people so easily, people forget that it's going to take a long time to be successful. I mean, you know, he said he he was in his mom's basement for six years, and it took a while for him to have his break. But when it happened, you know, he didn't look back and his expectations of his career got, you know, bigger with the amount of accomplishments he had, but he first started off, you know, in his mom's basement. I just, I just love that as a metaphor for everybody in the industry, you know? Mm -hmm. So totally. All right. Well, let's get into it. Let's do it. Elman, welcome to the show, man. How you doing today? Welcome, man, I'm man. feeling great. Thank you guys for having me. Super on excited. Your podcast. To have you. Um, yeah, man, I'm just, you know, living life out here. This is my second uh, podcast today. I did my own, and now I'm doing yours. I feel I feel like I'm an official potter at this. <laughs> like, About rapid fire. Yeah, like my number one career right now is like podcast and then producing. It's, like, <laughs> it's fucked up. It's but. like you got a session. It's like hold on, no, I got to record the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> then I'll, then I'll come to this. It's like the cool thing to do, but nah. Uh, uh, but yeah, man, thank you guys for having me. Yeah, for cool. sure. Super excited to have you on, man. I know we want to talk about a lot of things, but for starters, I think. Um, You've definitely had a really amazing career as a producer, but curious, I think a lot of the listeners are earlier on in their stages. Some are further along their path in the, in the industry, but like, what were some of your big breaks as a producer and like the, the turning points in your career? Turning points. I mean, I had so many. Um, it, it's funny because I look at some of the stuff that other people might think are small wins as turning points because mm -hmm. those were kind of points in my career that like changed my life on like a deeper level. So like one example is back in 2000, I want to say 2003. That was like when I was like, I didn't even really figure out yet if I wanted to like pursue producing music. That was just me, like a kid, mom's basement, like super young, not know, really knowing what to do or if this would be a career. And I, I, you know, worked and I got like my first placement around 2003 with this um, underground rapper named Acrobatic who at the time was signed to like an indie label. And that was back when like you were like really pressing up vinyl and like, you know, fat beats, New York city, rest in peace, fat beats. Um, 
that was when, you know, you went to the record store and, and bought records and stuff. And I remember I got that placement and that record was like in the rack in this record store that I used to just like go to as a kid. And um, that right there changed my life because that was like me telling myself, oh shit, like I'm finally on the rack and, and this record says produced by Illmind. Um, and so that was like, that was a big turning point for me. And then, and then just so many, man, like mm-hmm. doing this for 15 plus years, every, you know, obviously the first six years like really sucked um, in terms of like being broke and, and, you know, not, not, you know, advancing at the rate that I w- would have wanted to. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, I'm kind of glad it happened that way because it set me up for the other wins. So like, you know, 2000, 12 was a big one for me. That was when I finally worked with Kanye West. I did this record called The Morning on the Cruel Summer album. And, uh, you know, it had everyone on it. That was, you know, Kanye, Common, Travis Scott. Well, no, Travis helped produce it, but it was like 2 Chains, Raekwon was on it, like Side of Prince. And so that was a big turning point for me. Um, and shout to Jeff Basker, Mike Dean, and... um and um, Travis Scott for helping produce that record with me. And, uh, you know, from there, it just kind of snowballed. Mm-hmm. So from, I would say 2012 was like the big kind of turning point. And then from there, every year, it's just been more and more and more. So That's amazing. Yeah. When you mentioned those first six years when it kind of sucked, were there ever any points where you thought about throwing in the towel? Never. You just never knew this was your destiny? I knew it. I, I never threw, even really thought about throwing a towel in because I was just having too much fun. Like right. regardless of me being broke or like my my other friends like going out and like, you know, being being kids, I was really just like in the studio. All I ever really wanted to do at that point was just make beats all day, every day. Mm-hmm. And that was my form of enjoyment and like peace and like finding something that I not, I not only enjoyed, but I felt like I was good at. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, growing up, I, I was never like good at sports. Like I have an older brother. He was like always like good at everything. And right. I like <laughs> suck, literally sucked at everything except video games and like being a troublemaker. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. when I found music, I was just making music. I got addicted to it. I got fascinated by it. Um, it was super passionate about it. And um, that was just like life for me. So I never thought about throwing a towel in because for me at least, I know a lot of people might feel this way, but like, it's really hard to quit something that you love doing. Right. Um, and so I just never really thought of it, thankfully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, I mean, at the stage you're at now, I mean, you're definitely where a lot of producers aspire to be, artists in general. Um, do you, I mean, it seems like you were very clear at an early age that this is what you love to do, something you were passionate about and kept going with it. But do you feel like as you've achieved some of the goals or ambitions you once had, um, your happiness has changed or, or cause I'm always fascinated by this space of, or a place in mind where people are like, if they don't get it or once you make it, you'll be happy. But I'm curious as somebody that's like been in the early, made it to the, like the, you've made it phase, mm-hmm. multi-platinum, all that good stuff. Um, how has that impacted your happiness? It's funny because you don't know what success and money feels like truly until you achieve it. Right. Mm-hmm. And then when you achieve it, you realize that there is no destination. You know, for for a lot of people, like you just said, the position that I'm in today is a destination. It's an ideal destination. It's, you know, you're making a, a, a living off of your passion, Grammy winning, 
worked with, you know, a bunch of different people, legacy, all that cool stuff. But to me, I'm still like a kid, you know, feeling like I'm, it's still day one. Like, I feel like I'm just starting. And so I think you kind of have to look at it from a perspective of there's always more that you're going to want to do. Um, you know, after you get one Grammy nomination, then you, then you win a Grammy. And then after you win one, you want two and then four, and then you get a plaque and then you want three plaques and then 10 plaques. And I'm sure guys like, you know, um, Pharrell and Kanye West, especially Jay-Z, Diddy, like as successful as they are, I'm sure they also feel the same way. There's always just more that you want to do. Uh, you want to make a bigger impact. You want more, uh, you know, more, you want to leave behind more of a legacy. So that that's the point that I'm at, man. Like, I'm just kind of going through this phase of embracing my success, but then also maintaining that hunger that I had from the beginning. And that's really what's been carrying me, honestly. You know, so, you know, they say uh, when you play basketball, focus, just keep your focus on making your shots and don't look at the scoreboard. Well, a lot of people are looking at the scoreboard and they get content and they're like, cool, I'm good. But if you do that, then you know, all this shit can just go away tomorrow. So you just have to keep your eye on the prize and keep going. So what are some of the, uh, the forces at work that keep you humble and keep you in that mindset, whether that's people or, you know, things that you've read or lessons you learned along the way that have kind of reminded you to stay like that? I think it's a combination of my parents, um, being Filipino, you know, my, my parents were immigrants from the Philippines. So, they came, they came here to the Philippines and had a couple kids. And, you know, it, it was, we started with nothing. Like my mom was raised on a farm in the Philippines. And when she was like in her early teens, she moved to America, you know, in like the seventies or yeah, the seventies. And, um, you know, she was a nurse. So she was like, you know, in the hood in Jersey where I grew up, like just, trying to get by with the job, sending money back to the Philippines, like paying rent, trying to, trying to raise a family. And, and my dad as well, my dad was a musician. So, you know, he had gigs every once in a while and he would make a little bit of bread, but like, you know, we, we didn't grow up rich. We grew up just like my parents trying to achieve the American dream. And so, you know, I was sort of like destined to, you know, go to school, like everyone else, go to school, get a job. Like I'm supposed to be like an accountant or like a nurse or something. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And obviously that model wasn't for me. I was always like a creative kid. So, um, you know, that, that's kind of what I followed. So, um, yeah, man, I think it's a combination of that. And also too, just like knowing that like all this shit can go away tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like people, if people stop caring about what I do tomorrow, then like I would have to figure something else out. So, there's no benefit that I'm uh, seeing if I, you know, all of a sudden embrace this like personality of like, oh, you know, I'm the shit. I'm the <laughs> go. I'm Grammy fucking winning. You know yeah. what I mean? I got more money than you. I got more f- whatever, whatever. <laughs> it's like, okay, that now, you know what I mean? Like, and don't knock to that. You know, like I don't like wearing like a crazy ass watch like makes me super uncomfortable <laughs> because like all of a sudden it's like, look at me. I have a big watch. I I'm like, I'm like waving my fucking status on, on people at all times. Yeah. And, and that's okay for people who like own that and embrace that. I'm not knocking that. Like I have jewelry, like and I'll wear it every so often, but 
I, that's never been me. You right. know what I mean? Right, right, and so, um, I don't know. It's just, it's just something in my DNA or just like I, those particular things I don't really care much about. I'm, I'm more just like, I love the music and I love making music and, and, and to be successful doing that is a blessing. So. Yeah. That actually kind of brings us to our next point when you said this could all kind of go away, but in terms of more than music, um, as sonic trends come and go, how do they influence your style and how much do you let them influence your style? They don't influence me. I look at, I've always looked at it as me influencing them. So as a music producer, I get inspiration from music I like and music I love, whether it's older music or current music or whatever it is. But I sort of, in my mind, I'm, I'm a painter and I, I look at myself. And this is not like saying in like, I'm the shit kind of way, but you know, I, I see myself as the creator of music that people love. So I'm part of this community of people that dictate the sound. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when you, when I, when you flip the thinking on that, and if I were to tell myself, well, I am, uh, I'm under the influence of, or I'm under the, I'm at the mercy of whatever radio is telling me to make or whatever is popular is telling me to make, then I'm always going to be chasing my tail creatively. Right. Right. And so, um, and I never wanted to be that guy and, and that kind of stuff doesn't drive me. So I'm always trying to think ahead. I'm always just trying to be super creative and, and just going with like what feels good when I'm making music. And, and if that's what the sound of the future is, then so be it, you know? Um, but I think as a musician, as a producer, that's usually our goal. Our goal for most of us is to create a new sound and push the sound forward and dictate the sound as opposed to try to keep up with it. If that makes sense. Yeah. Right. At what point do you think you really got into a groove for your own sound? At what point in your career? Um, I, I don't really, it's funny because I don't look at myself as a producer that like has a sound. Mm-hmm. I'm more the guy who goes in there and helps execute creating the best song possible. And that, that's my concern. Like I, I'm, I'm not really in this to like create a, a, a particular sound or lock myself into one thing. Right. And, and I think for a while in terms of like production, like that was probably true for, mm-hmm. for a certain amount of time. Like, you know, the era of the super producers where it was like Timbaland had a sound, Neptune's had a sound, you know, just blaze and all these guys. And now when you have look at music now in 2019, Everything's sort of cross pollinating, mm-hmm. you know. We have because of the internet and because we're all connected now. We're all listening to everything. So, as a producer, I get to create everything as well. Like I don't have to just make trap music. I could do pop music. I could blend both. I could do R and B. I could do. So, um, yeah. Th- there's really no more rules. So I think the idea of like having a particular sound is kind it's of like old away. news. Yeah. It's, it's kind of old news because. If you have a sound, that's great. And if you want to stick to that, that's great. But I'm, I'm just not seeing that as like a realistic sort of trajectory. At this point. At this point, if greatness is what you're trying to achieve. And if you do achieve it that way, amazing. Round of applause. You know what I mean? Right. Like, but when you look at the billboard, top 10 billboard, top 40 billboard, or even top 100 billboard, and you look at all those songs and you look at all the producers involved, it, it shit is all over the place. Mm-hmm. You have, you know, 
Boy Wanda is up there. I'm up there. Murder Beats is up there. Then you have Louis Bell is up there who did like Post Malone, like, you know, pop records and trap records, but then also doing Camila Cabela. Right. And then you have Frank Dukes who the who did, you know, Havana, the biggest record of 2018, but then also, uh, you know, co-produced like Drake records. So I think that's the era we're entering. And um and yeah, I, I I think, you know, for me, I'm just happy to be a part of that. Right. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, as a fan, it's exciting, too, because it's, uh, I mean, just the convergence is creating such unique sounds where you're able to see these different, like, vibes blend together. And I mean, it's the best of all these different worlds. Yeah. I think absolutely. checking those credits is also important now because you can't really tell as much. Like, I check yeah. credits a lot more now than I used to. It used to be like, oh, I could kind of tell who this mm-hmm. is, you know. Now it's like, oh shit, this beat is tight. Like, who was a part of this? Oh shit, Ilma's on this. I don't even know. Or like, oh shit, Frank Deuce is on this. I wouldn't have even guessed, you know. Yeah, like, and I think like more and more people are checking credits too, right. which is really cool. Mm-hmm. And now that you have Spotify and titles that are now like, you know, showing the credits on these songs, which is a great move for us. Then you know, more and more people are doing it. So right, yeah. Do you think it's unfair that producers don't get artist credit on songs? I don't think it's unfair. I think um, I think it would be cool if it happened, but I don't <laughs> think it's unfair because, you know, if, if we're going to open up the door to always crediting producers, then we have to include everyone. So then now we enter the territory of, okay, who engineered this? Who tracked the vocals? Who right, mastered right. it? Yeah. Whose studio did we record this out right. of? It's like featuring yeah. like 10 people. Yeah, like featuring the, <laughs> the intern who like tracked that that day like and got all the coffee. Like he should be in the credits too. So <laughs> it, it then we start to enter like a very blurry sort of like space. So I understand why like producers aren't like always, you know, in the forefront. But I do think that we're moving into a space where producers are getting more of the credit. Like, you know, you guys, you have guys like, you know, obviously, you know, I'll use Mustard as an example. Like, he's a DJ too, so that helps. But someone like Mustard, where he, he has the popularity enough to hold weight when you show his name, it's like produced by DJ Mustard, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so, you know, I think that's the goal for a lot of us is to maybe, you know, get to that point we're, you know, adding our name to a credit like holds weight. Um, and and it's it works at different levels. For some people, it's more. Some people, it's less, you know. So um, it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, for sure. When it comes to the like the DJing and producing, I mean, we were speaking with another person on the show who's more in the like the dance music world. And like it's almost essential that if you're an electronic producer, you're also like actively touring as a DJ. But in hip hop, I mean, there's some that do and a lot that don't. Like... Mm-hmm. In your experience, um, is it important to to do both? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important if it's important to you. You know, like there's there's so many different types of hip hop producers. I'll just say producers in general who just have different aspirations, different goals. I mean, there's some producers that prefer to just be in the background and just stack up their publishing and just be the guy behind the boards, like literally, you know, not really showing their face, no interest in really DJing or generating any income that way. And then you have other people who want to be on, in the spotlight. They want those DJ gigs. Um, they want to produce and have their name in the front. So I, to me, it's all preference. I don't think there's a right or wrong, but I think if I were to compare it to like the dance um, music scene, because a lot of those guys are DJs, I think they're a big part of their income is, you know, doing those weekend gigs or like doing Coachella or having a residency at Vegas, which 
could also happen in the hip hop world as well. Um, but I think it's just preference. But I will I will say that, you know, being a producer DJ, I, I'm also a producer, producer DJ, but to be a producer DJ and to pursue that pathway as like another income stream is is really open right now. And I think it's a it's a great thing to pursue. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's not easy to get there. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Right. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your like personal brand. Um, you obviously are very active on social media and, you know, we model some of our content off of yours. Amazing. At what point did you reprioritize what you were doing to kind of put a spotlight on uh, social media content, content delivery, creation, personal branding and that whole sort of thing? So I've always been into it. A lot of mm-hmm. people don't know, but the first um, the first like producer show thing that I did was this like live producer showcase where I invited like four or five producers to come hook up their laptops and we would just like have a beat cipher at a bar and it started. Yeah, it was called, (laughs) I called it blap. It was called beats, love, beats, love, alcohol party. And it was at this venue in the city called Nightingale, not Nightingale, um, fat Buddha. And, um, we did it in 2010 and that was 2010 was kind of the time when I really started to gain interest in like, being around other producers and giving back to the community and all that stuff. And that was, so we started that. And then, um, in 2011, I started my podcast, which a lot of people don't know. It used to be called blap on the radio shout to, um, shout to my man, a King and a uh, combat Jack Reggie rest in peace. Um, I remember having a conversation with combat Jack in 2011 and he was the one that really like put the battery in my back for like, yo, just do the podcast, talk about production, all this stuff. And this was before podcasting was literally anything. Like right. it was unheard of. Like podcast, what is that? Who does that? You know? It was and just an extra app on people's yeah, iPhones. Exactly. An yeah. extra app that people, now you're a potter, bro. Yeah. Now I'm a potter. I've been a potter. Seven years <laughs> deep. I'm a potter. What's good? So um, I started that and then uh, I rebranded it into Blapchat after having another conversation with Combat Jack. Rest in peace. Um and this was around 2015. And so 2015 was like the beginning of like really, really going hard on like the podcast. Um, I just see it as an opportunity to talk shit, honestly. Like, <laughs> and, and, and 90% of the stuff I like talking about is producer stuff. And so those are the types of people I, I um, mm-hmm. attract in my podcast. And, and I love that. You know what I mean? I'm not here to banter about current events. I'm not knocking that. You know, there's, there's a place for that, but like, that doesn't uh, drive me. That doesn't excite me. And so obviously the podcast evolved to YouTube, you know, and then, um, you know, I, I'm not even going to front, like I'll, I'm going to credit Gary V for like really putting that battery in my back, like saying, yo, like you have the podcast, you have the drum kits, you're like heavy involved with the producer community. You should really like think about doing the YouTube thing. And that was around the time that I said, you know what, like, let me just like try the YouTube shit out and do more video content. And so that's how that opened up, you know, but uh, yeah, man, for, for years, I've always had a big interest in being a part of the community that I come from, the music, the hip hop music producer community and coming up with no one and no mentors and no YouTube tutorials and stuff like that. I know what it's like to be an aspiring music creator and like not have any resources. There's no schools, really. There's no there's books you can read, but there's no like 
insider that could really give you the real shit. Right. Like, show me a producer that has Grammys, that has years of experience, has been in rooms, has got fucked over with publishing deals and signed bad contracts and good contracts and has been through some stuff that's actually like giving you the raw shit right. of what to expect, what not to expect, what you could try, what to avoid. And I'm not saying I have all the answers, but I, I've learned a thing or two and I'd love to you know, forward that information to the community that I come from and the community that allows for me to keep doing this. Right. So it, it, all of it feels really good. And so that's why I'm passionate about it. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, so when I was working with Gary, we were helping other people and artists like build their personal brand. And I think it's interesting because some people get it and they see the impact that it has and they're willing to make the investment. Others um, are lazy lazy or or just don't necessarily see the value or are willing to take that step. I mean, have you felt through investing all of this time, money and effort into these other content streams that that's actually like lifted business as a whole? thousand percent. Yeah. It's lifted everything. And the funny thing is, it's crazy because a lot of people have this perception of me. They think that I'm like, just like a super workhorse, like, because all this stuff I'm doing, I have like, you know, drum kit business. I have, I'm a music producer, first and foremost. I'm on these albums. Uh, I could do a weekly podcast, a weekly YouTube series, all three pieces of content every day on like <laughs> Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Yeah. Like I'm crossing all the checks. And so people have this perception, like, how do you have time to like make beats or do this? And people don't know that 90% of my time is in the studio making music. 10% is on the other shit. Mm-hmm. And the, the I don't know, I can't really explain on how I'm able to accomplish it, but I sort of like do things that, um, that inspire me and do things that I know will be fun and, mm-hmm. and exciting. And so because of that, I don't stress about certain things. And because I'm not stressing about certain things, I'm able to make the right decisions on certain stuff. And, you know, a lot of the stuff I do myself, I have an assistant too, who helps with, with, with some of the like logistical stuff. Um, and, you know, I have a whole team, I have an accountant, a, an attorney, a manager, we're all super amazing, but, um, you know, it, it's not as complicated or hard as I think people think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, knock on wood, we'll see how long that lasts. You <laughs> yeah. know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Are there any other artists or producers that you feel like are crushing it on a content standpoint? Other producers that are crushing it on content? Or, or um, vocalists? I got to credit my man 1500 uh, or the group 1500 or nothing. Um, you know, uh, they're killing it. You know, they have the facility in L.A. and... They're, they also, they're the Jay-Z's band and they produce a bunch of stuff. Like they're, 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 they're really doing a lot for the community for sure. But in terms of like content, I don't know, man. And I'm not even trying to be like. Yeah, you got the game on lock. Yeah, I need to. (laughs) I mean, uh, I would love to know. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's, I feel like it's something that has so much validation as far as its impact, yet it's still something you don't necessarily see people do that much of. No, and I want to see more people do it. Yeah. I I really do. Like, I want another producer who's got the credits, who's got the experience, who's passionate about this, and who has something to say to really, like, maybe step up and do their own version of what I'm doing Mm -hmm. or something. I I do. But, you know, if, if I continue to just be that guy, then... So be it. You know what I mean? I'm okay with being the guy on top of the mountain screaming 
people laughing at him. (laughs) And then, then, you know, and and if you copy me, by all means, do it, you know, just do it better than I did. Right. That's all I ask. Yeah. No, that's awesome, man. And I feel like it's an innovative approach. I mean, you're an early mover in that regard, but that's not the first time. I mean, the like past the ox, the the blab kits. I mean, like you were doing like the kits yeah. way early on in that game. Two thousand eleven. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two thousand eleven when no one was doing drum kits. Yeah. Be, now you, people whole laughed business. at you. Yeah. yeah. People, <laughs> whole people were clowning me when they oh, this dude Illmind is like selling his drums now. Like you're not supposed to share your drums. Because <laughs> back then it was this whole thing where like if you have your drum sounds, like you're not supposed to share them. You're supposed to like keep keep them. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know who made that up, but that was just like <laughs> it was just some hip hop shit. Like yo, you're not supposed to fucking snitch on yourself or whatever. And I respected it like for a while, and I understood it. But then I like after a few years, I'm like that makes no sense. Like why am I not allowed to like share my sound? So mm-hmm. I I just stopped asking permission to do shit a long time ago so it's like fuck it i'm gonna do drums drum kits and then that turned into a multi-million dollar business i mean i'm not gonna say i'm like the pioneer but i'd be i'd be really silly to not say that like i was a part of that movement or at least helping to push that a little bit more forward Mm -hmm. um and now you have like you know companies like splice and all these things it's it's just like a multi-million dollar a year business um even the podcast stuff, like being a producer and starting a podcast, like people laughed at me for that too. So, um, yeah, man, I, I'm just like looking for the next thing and, and it's just continuing to follow my instinct and, and just as long as it's fun, I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, you said earlier, you kind of mentioned your team, but I'm wondering, uh, who specifically is on your, your content team. You have an assistant and then. So I'll t- I'll give you the real raw shit. So <laughs> my assistant, um, who I just hired, um, helps with, you know, physically like uploading episodes on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So, so we'll have two hour episodes on YouTube and, um, you know, that takes a while to download and, and do that. So he'll do a lot of like the dirty work on that end. Um, and then, um, you know, in terms of the podcast, it's really just me and my three co-hosts, Perfection, uh, Glam and Atlas. But in terms of like editing the podcast, like I edit that myself, mm. um, edit that, upload it. And then my assistant uploads it to the platforms. Uh, and then in terms of like the micro content, honestly, I do that shit all on my phone. What? Yeah. So my assistant <laughs> will send me the link to the new YouTube episode on Dropbox. I'll download it on my phone, IG format it and also um, 16.9 format it, whatever the widescreen. So I, I'm doing, I'm, I'm using, I'm literally all those like videos you see on my Instagram. I literally do them while I'm taking a shit at it. <laughs> like I wake up at five thirty six a.m. every morning, and for the first like two or three hours, I'm just like not doing shit, like drinking coffee, walk my dog, create a little bit of content while I'm taking a shit. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Put, let me put some subtitles on this and figure out what I, what I want to say today, you know, like stuff like that. So, um, yeah, and then I have a videographer. What's the just, actual app, though, that she's using? Um, so it's an app called Vemly, V-E-M-E dot L-Y, that uh, helps, you know, that app, can they put the uh, subtitles on, on the videos. Um, so that's you a format, great app. You use it to format the video, too, with the headlines? Yep, I can nice. use that to format, and then, uh, you know, a couple other apps, too. Uh, you know, secret, <laughs> secret apps, secret weapons, you know. Um, 
But I'm literally saving hours of like man work and like man hours and 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 all that from just like doing it myself. And yeah. I, I, I like enjoy that too, shit. Yeah, you know? a lot of the artwork <laughs> I do myself too. No word um, on the iPhone. Um, and then all my e-commerce businesses go through Shopify. Mm-hmm. Um, shout to Shopify, and uh, so that's the, the drum kit business. My website where I sell tickets for my pass the aux and um you know I built those websites myself I just taught myself how to build a website and how to use Shopify and do that and then I have like my um assistant my accountant like on the back end making sure everyone's paid out and doing all that right. stuff so it's right now I'll knock on wood again but as of right now it's like a pretty everything's pretty smooth like mm-hmm. it's a very mm-hmm. pretty like well-oiled machine at this yeah. point, but a lot of the creative stuff, I'm like hand, really hands on with it. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, awesome. When it comes to like your music team, I mean, management labels, like tons of different people. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you feel like are the essential like people to have on your team? Man, every right now, like every person is super crucial. So I have a manager. Um, I'm gonna put them on a the spot. My man, Jonathan Master. Um, who I've known for more than 10 years. I met him when he was an intern at SRC Records. Um, and then um, we just kind of knew each other from passing. Every other year we would run into each other. And then in 2014, early 2014 was or late 2013, early 2014. That was around the time that uh, me and John like made it official to just like be my manager. And then from there, that was a year that I like f- pretty much formed like my entire team so then my attorney um vinnie kumar i met in atlanta in like 2009 or 2010 Mm -hmm. uh and uh and then he vinnie also worked with john at empire distribution and they helped gazi um build that empire no pun intended that empire and uh, Vinny is still there. And so, you know, Vinny is an amazing attorney. He represents Mike Will, Ray Schremmerd, um, a bunch of other other people, a couple other people. Uh, and Jonathan, my manager, is also an executive at Sony. He's got his own label, same plate. Um, so he's got, you know, that stuff going on as well. And then my accountant, Ran V, is just a super killer. You know, anytime I try to make a big purchase, he'll fucking yell at me. <laughs> yeah. He really does his job. Like what you think like an accountant does, like he'll really do it. I'm thinking like, like entourage hey, when the business yeah, like, manager. Hey, Hill, so yeah. like, what was that transaction yesterday? Do you ever see like, <laughs> was that an expense? Cause you put it on the business card. <laughs> like what, what is that? Like, you know, so, um, so he's crucial and you know, obviously for tax purposes, like I'm a huge taxpayer. Like I'm pretty sure I'm contributing my tax, like I'm helping Trump build this wall, basically. Yeah. Like, which is fans is watching, up. man. Fans is watching. That's he pays trying, his taxes. I pay my taxes. You know what too. I'm saying? That's why I'm trying to write everything off so I don't right. have to pay for the wall. <laughs> you know, like, I want to know where my money's going. Yeah. You know right, I mean? right. So, um, so you have that, and then I have my assistant Connor, and then my man at um Andrew, who is uh, Jonathan's brother, who also works at Sony. Um, he helps me with the past the aux events, so he'll go out and he'll scout for different studios and help me with like my routing for certain cities and book flights and hotels and all that stuff. So yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Um, when it comes to, I, I want to talk about some of your, your favorite projects and artists to work with. I mean, you've worked with tons, you've had some smash hits. Um, yeah. What have been some of the highlights, the crazy stories, the um, yeah. favorites. I, I honestly, I don't have like, I don't have a favorite to be honest with you. Like, Every every session that I've done, whether it's been like with a superstar or 
with like an up and coming artist or whatever musicians Mm -hmm. like uh, there's always something memorable that I take away from those sessions. Mm -hmm. So I can't even really like play favorites and like choose a favorite. And that's not me being political either. It's just like, you know, it's just how I feel. So, um, every session has been pretty amazing so far. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I walk away with like something new every time, but I'm trying to think of like a crazy story. I think the craziest story was probably the first time I got in the studio with Dr. Dre, um, which was a super trip. Um, you know, being around him, you never, it, you, it never gets old. Like you get around Dre and you're like, this is like Dr. Dre is like in the room with me. Like I can touch your face. Like, you know? But the first time I met Dre, first time I met Dre was uh, probably, I think it was 2013, 2013. So long story short, um, his, his um, A&R, Tahim, uh, I've known for a couple of years prior to that. So I was in LA and Tahim texted me out of the blue and he's like, yo, what are you doing, Il? I'm like, yo, I'm in LA. He's like, where are you at? And I was like, I'm at this bar right now or at the studio. And then he texted me. He was like, what's the address? So I sent him the address and he was like, yo, I'm with Dre right now at the bar <laughs> right across the street. He's like, why don't you come over here and say hi? And I was like, fuck yeah. I'm gonna say <laughs> hi to Dre. So I went, I met Dre for the first time. And he bought me a drink. We're drinking at the bar. And he's like, yo, my man Ty told me you got them beats. <laughs> and in my mind, I'm like, Jay, um, I, I'm trying. Yes, thank you. Um, and he's like, you got a studio? And I was like, yes, I have. we're at a studio across the street. Would you like to partake? <laughs> so then he's like, so we're all like kind of low key, like drunk and shit. So then we walk to the studio. And he sits down on the couch. So he's like, yo, play me some shit, man. Like, I'm here. <laughs> so he's sitting and I'm at the I'm at the mixing board. I plug my computer in and I, I start playing beats. And so I, the, the entire time I'm like playing all my best beats. Like, yeah. just the shit that I love. Like, 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 this one? Yeah. Right. And so he's behind me and I'm looking like straight ahead. Speakers are super loud. I can't hear anything. You can't even get real time updates. Get, how nah. feels. So I, I was too scared to look back. <laughs> I was, yeah, yeah, I was too scared face. to look back at Dre. So I'm playing beat after beat, and yeah. I'm like doing the whole fucking. I'm selling it. I'm like, yo, this shit right here. Wait till you hear this shit, bro. Like, and the whole time in my mind, I'm like, Dre is probably like going crazy over these. Like, I hope he is. And I turn around, and he's sitting down on his phone like this. Mm. Like not even moving his head. So then I was like, fuck, <laughs> I really fucked that up. Oh, man. So then I stopped playing and then we start building. He started giving me advice. Like, you know, I've really been like really into like, I, I forgot what he told me, but it was like, had something to do with like chords and stuff like that. It was just like, give me little pointers. And then that was that. And, and, and so that happened. And then I met Dre again in like 2015 and, um, and that went well. We went in there and I played him, you know, a beat and like he went crazy. And, you know, he was like, yo, load that beat up. I want to, I want to mess with those drums. <laughs> <laughs> so we start collaborating and then, and then I started going to Dre's studio more and start building a rapport with those guys. And, you know, this was around the time that he was working on the Compton album. Um, and so, you know, uh, I was just there working. And so that was like a, a, a pretty, intense experience for me because I've always looked up to Dre. You know, mm-hmm. if you're a producer and you don't look up to Dre, that's like kind of weird in my right. opinion. 
Um, you know, and so, uh, yeah, that was probably like one of the That's weird, so dope. awkward. Yeah. I mean, relationship development in this game is so essential. I think mm-hmm. it's cool how you just shared how you first met and how it's developed over time. I mean, can you, thinking back through some of the other like big relationships that you've nurtured, like what advice do you have for people when it comes to building like sustainable, beautiful, collaborative relationships? Honestly, man, just be human. Mm-hmm. Be human and be yourself. If you, if you, if you, um, you know, just approach people like human beings. You know, mm-hmm. I think a lot of times, especially when you're like a hungry upcoming producer and you meet people that feel like could help you, all of a sudden you just become like this different person. You're like a salesman all of a sudden. It's like, yo, what's up? I make these, I got hot beats, man. Like, or, yo, I worked with this person, this person, you start dropping like your discography or it's just weird. You know, it's like, (laughs) so I look at it like meeting a girl or like a significant other. It's like when you meet a girl and you're trying to get a number, you're trying to get to know this person, you're not going to go up to them and say, yo, what's up, girl? I got, I got a million dollars in the bank. I drive a, fucking you know what i mean like a lambo what's good like let me take you out no no like you gotta you gotta go in there and be human and so to me i feel like you know it's all about just being human and understanding that you have to be able to have value and show people that you're valuable in some kind of way um you know i'm a big fan of giving first and then you know, giving without expectation and, and, you know, not going into a situation feeling like you need to get something out of it. Like not all, not every interaction should be like, Oh, I wonder what I can get out of this person or how, how can I, you know, you like take advantage of this situation that I'm in. Sometimes you just got to go in a room and just be human and be yourself and, and just be a good person. You know, a lot of this stuff is like cliche and I'm sure most people know, like what the right thing to do is, but for some reason, like people just don't execute that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do believe that a big part of it is people just trying to be a salesman and like, you just got to drop the salesman thing and just be yourself and, and like allow for things to evolve naturally. You know, there's interns that I've met 10 years ago that were interns at labels 10 years later, they're huge executives. And because we, have had, you know, like pleasurable experiences in the past with each other. Um, You know, now I can call on those guys and they're like, yo, ill, let's work on this or, you know, let's get you on this project or, or whatever it might be. And that was a, you know, a 10 year relationship that I had to really nurture. So. That's amazing. I think that's big for me too, is just treating interns with respect all the time because interns just move and they become big people all the time. You know what I mean? So I had a situation today actually where an intern, I actually didn't choose them for the internship and they asked me, you know, is there anything I can improve on for the next time that I apply? And I sent them like a three paragraph email and the people next to me were like, yo, what you doing? Why are you sending that much to that intern? You don't need to do all that. I'm like, cause they could get an internship somewhere else. And in 10 years they could own the company. Yep. So I'm taking, I'm taking care of this person because they want it. They want, you know, real genuine advice. So that's also just a testament to the industry in general and how people move so quick. You know, yeah. people move so fast. So true. So true. And it's a small industry too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you, if you burn one bridge, the, you know, people will find out right. eventually. But then it also works the other way where if you're very easy to deal with, you do good business that will also transcend throughout the industry too. Like, yo, oh, you fuck with Ilman? Yeah. Fuck with him. We did some shit a couple of years ago. You should fuck with him. Right. You know, these are the types of like 
conversations that industry people make. And so like, yeah, you know, you don't want to go out there and, and be reckless. So, right. Yeah. Right. As a producer, do you think that that is a little bit more important than an artist when it comes to getting placements, networking to get in the studio with, with, with artists? Do you think networking is the, the major part of it? Because I know some people for the artists, some of the artists that I manage, you know, people just hear their records and right. it's more like, Oh man, I want to work with this person and they shoot an email, whether it's cold or not, you know, it's, that's, that's how a lot of this stuff comes together. Yeah. Um, but for producers, I feel like it's not just being in the room, but also like word of mouth. Would you agree or? Absolutely. I think for producers, there's, there's a level, there's like levels to the most, um, effective way to get a placement and then the least effective way to get a placement. And then there's all these in-betweens. Right. I think the most effective way to get a placement is to know the artist directly. Mm-hmm. You know, having a personal relationship with the actual artist that you want to get a placement with is the number one chance, highest po- probable chance to get a placement with that artist. The lowest probable chance is not knowing the artist at all and shooting, you know, from there, then there's levels. Then there's like the cold email. Mm-hmm. Then there's the cold, you know, DM. And then there's the, oh, I know a friend of a friend or a friend, or I know <laughs> Jay-Z's barber's assistant, <laughs> or like, I know, you know, Drake's manager's sister's boyfriend because we went to school together. You know, mm-hmm. then you start to create these like third degree of separation situations, which also could be those backdoor ways to getting to the artist. But ultimately, the goal is to get to know the artist mm-hmm. directly. And so, you know, you really have to maneuver and figure out a way to get there or to get yourself close to there as possible. Um, And so, yeah, networking is everything. You know, there's people that are out there that have the power to put you in these rooms and to show their, you know, show your music to certain people. But, you know, again, you got to be you got to be that producer that's easy to deal with. You don't want to be like a hothead. And then you have like an executive like say, you know what, this producer would have been perfect for this song, but I don't like dealing with them because I had a bad experience with their manager. So I'm going to pick this producer who's not as talented, maybe, or not as big, but they were incredible to deal with. So we're going to work with them. Mm -hmm. And then they get the opportunity, you know, so work. Yeah. Um, in terms of production, there's obviously a spectrum, right? Like there's producers that just make beats and then they kind of just send them to people um, and then people rap over them. And then there's obviously producers that are in the room kind of crafting the entire experience uh, from an artist's perspective, also helping the artist get the best out of, you know, their work. Um, can you speak a little more on that for people who may not know what yeah, that experience you know, is like? Yeah, there, there's no right or wrong. I think, uh, again, the best, the most effective way to make music is to be in the studio with the actual artist um but if you can't do that then yeah a lot a lot of hit records have been made from just like emailing beats right or you know sending a beat to an anr who's in the room that plays it for them or whatever it is like you don't always have to be in the room but i think as a producer you want to always try to be um you know i've done records where i've done plenty of records where i haven't been in a room you know and and it's for multiple different reasons. Sometimes I'm in New York and they're in LA and they're recording tonight. I can't mm-hmm. get to LA. So I'm going <laughs> to yeah. email you. I'm right. not going to say, yo, wait for me. Right. Till I fly over there or whatever. <laughs> um, so you have stuff like that. So there's no real right or wrong. I just, 
I think that whatever method you could utilize to get your beats heard in the right room, that's what you want to try to go for. Whether you're in the room or not, you want to you want to figure out a way to get your shit to play in that studio with that artist when the artist is ready to hit record right. and ready to write to it. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's just so many other levels of how you can approach it as well, but that's the ultimate goal. Yeah. Awesome. When it comes to, I mean, you, with the past ox, I mean, you, you constantly tra- chatting with like tons of, uh, emerging producers and see lots of artists, seeing people rise the ranks, seeing people go nowhere. <laughs> yep. Um, <laughs> What is some of the most important things to focus on as an inspire as an aspiring musician? Work with your peers, build with your peers. You know, a lot a lot of aspiring producers and musicians and rappers and singers and even like aspiring executives too. They try to just skip all these steps. Where mm-hmm. it's like I want I'm trying to like immediately get a Jay Z placement or immediately get a Drake placement or immediately get to Kendrick or J Cole. But the the new the next Kendricks and the next J. Coles are right next to you, mm-hmm. right? And so it's so important to build with people that are on your level and people that are your peers um, because, you know, you just never know who could pop. And if you're a good producer and you build with people and, and you increase your chances of, of success with other people that also care about the music and what you're doing, then, you know, you're combining forces and again, you're increasing your chances of success. So, um, you know, that that's the one thing I learned about Pass the Ox is the value in the Pass the Ox sessions that I do is giving these guys an opportunity to meet their peers. Mm-hmm. And over over the course of a year and a half that I've been doing this, you know, 600 plus producers, I'm going back and I'm seeing the results like crazy. I get emails and we have these chat rooms that we set up mm-hmm. for every city, these private chat rooms in Instagram. And I'm I'm in there lurking and shit, and I see the <laughs> updates, and it's like people are clicking up, getting together, making music. There's a couple guys that already got major placements just from meeting at Pastel Ox and collaborating. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I'm seeing it unfold like right before my eyes, and and it's really great to watch. So, I would say the most important thing is to build with your peers, you know. And I always bring up Drake as an example. You know, 2006, 2007, Drake was pretty much a nobody in rap. I mean, he had the grassy and all that, but he wasn't like a big rapper at all. 2007. So who was he working with in 2007? 40. Boy Wanda, right? Two producers. Um, 2007, who were like the the big artists in 2007? It was 50 Cent, right? Eminem, Wayne, like... T-Pain. Right. T-Pain, right? These were the big guys. So 40 and Boy Wanda weren't necessarily focusing on like trying to work with them. They were just working with their homie from Toronto, Drake. Right. So they invested in their peer and they invested in each other. And now look at Drake, now look at 40, now look at Boy Wanda. They all were able to, um, you know, reach that level. So, you know, if you're a producer right now, you should be going out there finding the next thing. That's the most valuable thing you can do right now is find the next superstar, cultivate them and, um, and go for it. Yeah. And then, I mean, just to follow on with the like Drake story, I mean, the YMCMB, like Lil Wayne cosign was also like a monumental step. And I mean, that just goes back to like being human, doing good work, staying true to your word. Yeah. Snowballs. 
Yeah, I mean, if Wayne and Drake met and Drake was like a dude, a dude, a douche, like a d bag and shit, like Wayne probably would have never signed him. Yeah, and there would be no Drake potentially. So, you know, Drake is just a good dude. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just like Drake is like the all around mega successful person who knows how to move and um just you see the results of that yeah and that's it and and you know i've obviously worked with with drake i've had uh, placements with drake and i've dealt with his team and they're all amazing and you know i'm sure most people if not all people probably have the same sentiment about him so and that's why he's on top you know so yeah oh yeah um when it comes to all right Random question. Please. Shout out my boy Kean for coming up with this one. But if you're stranded on a musical island of collaborators and you could only bring one piece of equipment, laptop doesn't count, what would it be? Uh, laptop doesn't count. Fuck. What am I going to do? <laughs> Can't make music without a laptop. Um, I'll probably bring a guitar. Yeah. At least I can make shit. Yeah. Compose, <laughs> write a song or something. When when you do dive into a lot of the the equipment, I mean, what is the equipment uh, that you do use a lot? Of? Um, laptop, <laughs> <laughs> Not laptop, 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 laptop. No, it's pretty basic. I'm pretty much in the box, so all my sounds are in the laptop. Basically, I got an external hard drive, uh, MIDI keyboard, um, speakers. You know, like that's it, man. I, I've really got to the point where everything is in the box. So mm-hmm. all my sounds, all my drums, um, yeah, it's it's all in the box now. So yeah. Um, you said earlier that the way you think of you as a producer is sort of like a painter. Mm-hmm. So who creatively inspires you that isn't a musician, and what do you take away from them? Creatively inspires me that isn't a musician. Um, I'm a big fan of Jackson Pollock. I love his paintings. A lot of the usual guys like Basquiat, like his old shit is like super amazing. Um, Gustav Klimt is like his aesthetic is like so ridiculous. Um, And then what about them inspires you? It's just texture, texture, color, um, meaning behind the paintings. Like I love that they create art that's up for interpretation, but then also at the same time, so blatant in like, pushing you pushing a certain emotion on you um so yeah and and just aesthetically pleasing like you just like you look at their stuff and you're just like man this is fucking beautiful you know um it's fucking beautiful you know yeah and and like a lot you know like i love virgil stuff i love off-white um i'm a big fan of uh of uh scott so it's called uh scott scott and scott it's a brother and sister and, and they're they're uh they're fashion designers and um you know they have amazing stuff they're 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 all cut and sew their stuff so they're like super amazing um yeah man i mean oh right it'll be crazy to me right and and i i noticed that a lot um, so I, I can't really like name names, but I'll see stuff and I'll be like, that's crazy. Right. Like that's nope. super inspiring, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. You want to get any hot takes? One last question before the hot takes. Got it. What separates the top 1% of producers from the top 10%? So like the very good versus like the, the excellent, the great. What separates them? Yeah. Um, 
just going to be weird, but like never quitting. Just never quitting. I think that every top 1% or 10% producer just never quit. Mm-hmm. I think that producers that don't reach the level that they want to reach end up quitting. Mm-hmm. The reason why they don't reach it is because they quit. No, I don't think you could name one person who set a goal and didn't reach it. Name one. Can't. That set a goal and didn't reach it? And didn't. What do you mean by that? Like, like, great like I'm going to be a producer. Oh, like a, like a great producer. Yes. Right. And I, I am, but like didn't get there. Oh, I guess, no, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're sure. right. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. yeah. And and the people that didn't get there, what did they do? They quit. Yeah. 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 So yeah. all you so the other option is to not quit and win. Right. So don't quit and win or quit and lose. Right. That's it. I could have quit a long time ago. Yeah. I could have quit year five in mom's basement. And then that would have been it. To get like I love it and I totally believe this, but to just make it more like tangible for the audience, like where are moments where people tend to quit or where you see people that have money, already built a lot of momentum, but stressing on money, mm-hmm. stressing about money, um, stressing about being on social media too much and comparing themselves mm. to people. And then when you compare yourself to other people, you become impatient. And when you're impatient, you make really stupid decisions. And then those stupid decisions create, um, a more stressful, difficult scenario in the real world, which then eventually just the levy breaks and breaks you decide you down, to bow yeah. out. It breaks you down. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's why social media, man, to me is a gift and a curse because you could be on there for so long and literally it'll drain you emotionally without you even knowing it. Mm-hmm. You could just be innocently scrolling through and then you see something that triggers, you know, jealousy or impatience or sadness and then all of a sudden you're jealous envious sad and then you're no longer inspired to make music mm-hmm. or you're ashamed all you're of a ashamed. sudden you're, you're like phone. damn yeah. i'm better than this person <laughs> why am i not successful or why am i not in that position and then you start comparing yourself and then that influences your decision making which is um you know, a lot of times it's like not good for you. And then you end up quitting. So then, but then there's the opposite end of let me not pay attention to this shit and just like focus on what I love to do. It's like a levy, man. It's just eventually you're going to, you're going to, you're going to win eventually. Like it's just numbers, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just some people it's one year, some people it's 10, some people it's 20, you know, Quincy Jones wrote thriller when he was fucking 45. Right. That's his biggest hit. <laughs> Thriller. Michael Jackson. 45 years old. Mm. Timbaland is 40, what? Five, I think. I think 40, I was going to say mid-40s. I mid would 40, guess. You yeah. know, like, yeah, it's crazy, man. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. So. Work. That made sense, right? Yeah, yeah for no, sure. No, yeah, preach, bro. Cool. So we got a segment in the podcast called Hot Takes, where we cool. try to stir the pot a little bit. Nice. You may agree. You may disagree. But. You just got to be honest. Cool. There's statements. So our Is first, this stuff that I have to answer like quick or not necessarily? Answer your own okay, way. Okay, cool. Cool. Uh, first one, producers just make beats. Producers just make beats. Um, There are producers that just make beats. Um, But 
the art of producing a song is different just than is a lot different than just making a beat. Me anyone can make a beat now. You know, you can go to YouTube, you can download a program, you can learn how to make beats, you can get good at it. I guess you would call that a beat maker. <clears throat> and there's a lot of beat makers, but if you get thrown into a room with Adele and you know how to make really good beats, are you going to know how to produce a song? Probably not. You know, so there's a there's a big difference between making really good beats and being a really good producer. You know, getting into a room and knowing how to produce a song is a completely different experience. So, what is what is for the people that are listening that are either in the studio themselves or working with managing artists or producers? Um, like, what are some of the little like skills you feel like you've acquired or found impactful when it does come to like creating and orchestrating the room? Um, people skills, people skills. Just uh, again, goes back to being human. You know, you want you want to go in there and create a vibe that is conducive to being as creative as possible. And, you know, I've been in sessions where we'll book eight hours for the day and literally not do anything for eight hours and just talk or eat, talk, listen to music. And then, you know, we'll come back the next day and then make music, you know, and then you have other producers who are in there and they're just like, all right, we have to like make a song. And, you know, sometimes that puts pressure on the artist and puts pressure on yourself and you kind of go about it the wrong way that way, you know? Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of like being human, taking your time, getting to know the people that are in the room. Um, if that takes a couple hours to just get to know each other, then so be it, you know? But then I've been in other sessions where we go in, we meet, we talk for like 10 minutes and we just start mm-hmm. clicking away, you know? So um, I think it's different for every room. Every mixture of people in one room is always going to, have a different outcome. Mm. But I do think that that the human element is a very big Can't forget part it, of it. Yeah. So if, if you're really uncomfortable around people and you don't have, you haven't been in enough social situations to know how to handle yourself. If you get thrown into a room with like Adele or like Dre, you know what I mean? Or something like, then, you know, that's something that you, you want to try to work on, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and again, it goes back to working with your peers because when you work with your peers, you get to learn all that shit. Right. You get in the studio with struggle rapper A and then you figure <laughs> out how to track vocals. And yeah, then yeah, now yeah. you guys are going to have a meal and you understand, oh, okay, cool. Like we get to chill and and make music and get to know each other. And then you start to improve your like, you know, um, human interaction skills and being around other people and knowing how to handle yourself if like there's like two alpha males in the room like i'm dictating the session or i'm the engineer or you're the producer why are you here Mm -hmm. it's like you know you just have to know how to navigate and recognize that stuff to be able to do your job so totally yeah all right last hot take um with all the technological advances and software and tutorials you don't have to be as talented musically to be a great producer anymore um I think, I think talent, I think this is going to sound really typical, but talent and hard work are the two things. I mean, I know a lot of people that are super talented who just don't work hard. And so they're not successful. And then I see other producers who aren't really that talented at all, but fucking work their ass off and they're seeing results, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's a double-edged sword because if you're not really that talented, 
but you work hard, really hard, you're going to get opportunities, but you're not going to hit them all out the ballpark because mm-hmm. you're just not that good. So then eventually, you know, for every 10 opportunities you get, five went well, the other five were trash because you're not that good. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then the phone calls start disappearing. You're not, you're over time. Like, oh yeah, it was cool. That song we made was cool, but wasn't really my thing. You know what right. I mean? Right. But then if you're talented, you can get in a room and fucking knock it out the ballpark. But if you're not, you know, working hard or, you know, maximizing your potential, then it'll go nowhere fast. So right. I, I'm, I'm a fan of like be talented and also work hard. Like you can do both. You don't have to choose one. You right, know what I mean? Right. Like you can be really good at doing, making music. You could be really good at making beats. You could be really good with like dealing with people. You could be really good with like time management and working hard. You can have a really good team. Um, you can have all that, you know? So, and, and I think you need, you need all of that if you want to be a top 1% producer for sure. You know, hey, yeah. Words of wisdom, bro. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming out today, man. Absolutely, Appreciate man. Appreciate it. This man. was fun. I wish I had a drink with you guys, but another time. Yeah, we man. offered another it. Time. Next yeah. time yeah. Unless you yeah. want one right, literally yeah. right yeah. now. Shots, nah, <laughs> shots, shots, shots. shots. <laughs> All right. yeah. Thank you, man. Appreciate, Appreciate you guys, you. man. Damn, well, that was an amazing episode. It was. Um, I mean, this dude's on it, humble, focused. Yeah, man. I mean, one of my favorites, honestly. Yeah. I was, you know, we have, we don't really interview artists and producers that much, so I'm glad we got him because he's such a representation of what's what's in music now. You know, he's Grammy nominated, Grammy award winning, just won a Grammy at the last Grammy Awards for being on the Black Panther soundtrack. So he sort of represents a lot of what music is today, and he, you know, he ended up talking about that in the podcast. He doesn't like to think that he follows trends, but rather that he makes them. So. Um, yeah, man, super, super inspiring guy, super humble guy. It's also cool too how it seems like he really is a like a wears a lot of hats, yeah. which is really cool. Like he's editing his own podcast. I mean, he has teams and people in place to help make sure things are moving along. But at the end of the day, it's like he'll roll his sleeve, roll up his sleeves to learn how to get things done. And um, like to me, that's that's awesome. I mean, there's it's it's like the matrix like you can like download different skills um and i feel like he's done that around a lot of different skills i mean and even outside of that like musically he continues to push the boundaries he's constantly testing different businesses right. different revenue streams drum kits past the augs um which is like a producer get together that he he touched on um and it was even on the content side too i mean if you guys go follow him at uh, illmind producer um his content is uh, I mean, he's just constantly cranking out really valuable, impactful content. It's right. generating a conversation. It's helping right. him um, build community and more equity around his name. And then he's able to uh, kind of give back to the community and also get back. I mean, there's right. there's good return on investment on that. Yeah, 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 real part yeah. of it, yeah. Um, so, we got to figure out how he does it, too. You know, yeah. taking a shit at 8 a.m. Yeah, you know? there it is. That's what we're going to do after this episode, <laughs> y'all. We're going to make we're going to make the next clips taking shits, man. Definitely. <laughs> Speak like, for yourself. Sounds like definitely, Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever, man. All right. Well, you guys uh, know what to do. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to uh, hit us up on at Music Business Podcast on Instagram. Really appreciate all the support so far. Leave a review on the uh, the podcast marketplace of your choice. And on that note, we out. We're out. Thanks, guys. Peace. Peace.